You can start, you can open your Bibles and go to Matthew, the 21st chapter. We're going to go to verse 28 in a moment. Uh, I wanted to just address something real quick. This is something the Holy Spirit gave me this afternoon. Um, you don't have to, you know, no show of hands or anything like that, but uh, has anyone here ever been offended at a message that anyone has ever preached? And I'll speak for myself. I, I have on occasion been uh, rubbed the wrong way by a, by a preacher, uh, be it male, female, doesn't matter. There have been occasions where somebody has said something that has rubbed me the wrong way. What do we do with that? And this is something that the Lord spoke to me this afternoon that I should address. So, if a, if a minister has said something that offended you, what do you do with that? How are you supposed to respond? Well, it's very simple. You turn off the TV, you shut off the computer, you run out the back door, you just never listen to that person ever again. Right? Of course not. Of course not. Uh, In fact, the worst thing we could do, the worst thing we could do when we're starting to feel offended or bothered by something that somebody is saying is shut them down. And to shut ourselves down from hearing what, what is being spoken. It's quite possible that the Holy Spirit has been trying to get a hold of us for some time. And we've seared our conscience and we've hardened our heart to what he's been saying. And now God is using one of his ministers to speak to us. And now we're getting offended. So if we're going to shut down this final last attempt, that's, that's kind of dangerous. I mean, if we consider the fact that if, if we're really in the wrong and Holy Spirit is trying to get a hold of us, do we want to shut that down? Ultimately, that's what the religious leaders did, isn't it? What we see, what we read in the scriptures, the religious rulers, that's what they did. They would shut down Jesus. They did not want to hear what he had to say. And the scary thing is, most of them probably ended up in hell. Why would we want that? So, if, if we're, if we're bothered, could it be that it's hitting home? That there's a reason why we're bothered. Because it's hitting too close to home and we don't like it. So instead of just shutting it down and ignoring it, what we need to do is maybe in the middle of that sermon, say, okay, Lord, I, I don't like this, but I'm going to put it on the shelf for now and then later on you and I are going to have a conversation about this. That's the best thing to do. Because you don't want to miss whatever else the Lord might be speaking through the minister that day, but you're going to want to revisit that. Don't just ignore it. Don't just... Pretend like it didn't happen. Don't just shut it down. Come back to it. And what we do is we very humbly come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm bothered. I mean, it really, it upset me. But is there something that you're trying to say to me in all this? And it just might be that he is. And then he might say, no, this does not apply to you. You can let this go. And then you just move on. That's it. Because God was trying to speak to somebody else that day. And you just maybe got caught in a little bit of the, you know, the blast, if you will. Does that make sense? If you think of it in this way, let's say you have a three-year-old and uh, you know, you're playing outside at the park and the three-year-old very innocently goes into the street and starts playing in the street. You run over the little three-year-old and you take the three-year-old and you say, hey, listen, you can't play in the street. It's very dangerous, okay? You bring him back to the park. This is where you play. And the three-year-old plays there. But then the three-year-old goes back to the street. So you run out, you grab the three-year-old and say, hey, listen, I told you, this is not where you play. You play at the park. 
You know, you're getting a little bit more stern with the three-year-old, right? But if that three-year-old insists on playing in the street, and now there's a truck coming, do you say, oh, little three-year-old, please come out of the street? Or do you holler? Do you scream? Because that three-year-old hasn't been listening up until now. See, sometimes people get offended because it wasn't just what was said, but it was the delivery. But if you haven't been listening, if we haven't been listening when it was gentle, it needs to be hollered now. Does that make sense? Sometimes the delivery has to be offensive to get your attention because up until now, you haven't been paying attention. Amen? I know that that can be true for myself. I haven't been paying attention, so unfortunately, it's generally Jamie who has to deliver the, the rebuke or whatever. I don't like what she has to say, and I'll go off to my office and... Oh, I didn't like what she said, Lord, but guess what? Lord, is there truth to what she said? We have to be humble before the Lord, and we have to humbly receive. You didn't like the way it was said? Guess what? Maybe it was what was needed to get our attention. Amen? So, what do we do? Well, we go to the Lord, and we let Him speak to our hearts as to whether or not it applies to us. Amen? This morning was one of those mornings, wasn't it? I was at the back, and some of you had the brakes on so hard we could smell them burning. It's okay. What do you do about it? Go home, pray, say, Lord, does this apply to me? What applies to me? What do you want me to do about it? Amen? So guess what? Tonight I get to offend you as well. Because this morning the message was purging for revival. And it's interesting. No, it's not interesting. It's, it's actually God's way of doing things. He's preparing us. There's revival coming. And there's some things that need to change here so that we're ready for it. And it's, it's funny to me that the Lord began to speak to me about this a while ago, and I was kind of irritated about it, about a certain something or other. But I didn't know that I was going to be ministering on it. And then, um, I think Tuesday, the Lord began to speak to me. It was Monday. Monday, began to, He began to speak to me, say, this is what you're going to deliver the next time you minister. And then, of course, Pastor Jim contacted me and said, would you please minister on Sunday? Okay. So it's kind of like a pattern now. Whenever the Lord gives me something, I know Pastor Jim's about to contact me. So we're in Matthew 21. I may offend you tonight, but what I want you to do is I want you to take whatever I say tonight and, and don't receive it as Alain is getting hard on us, but take it and say, okay, Holy Spirit, what if this applies to me? And if it doesn't apply to you, then praise the Lord. Just move on, right? Okay. If the shoe of conviction fits, put it on. Verse 28, Matthew 21. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of twain, whether of them twain did the will of his father. They say unto him, the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and you, when you had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. So contextually what we're, we're seeing here is Jesus, he's addressing, of course, yet again, the religious rulers. The, and, and they have a really hard heart. And their ears are stopped up, and they're not hearing what Jesus is saying. 
And this parable, really what we see, it's really, you know, pretty simple. It's, it's described here that there are two sons. One is asked to go, the first is asked to go into the vineyard. And uh, he says, no, I'm not going to go. But then afterwards, says, oh, you know what, I should have gone. And he goes. Simple, right? And of course, the second says, yeah, I'll go. But he doesn't go. And the Lord tells us that the reason is because the second represents the religious rulers who had a hardness of heart and refused to believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. They were the ones who were not going into the kingdom. What's interesting is that they believed that they were the ones saying, yeah, we'll we'll do what God wants us to do because they had the law, they had the prophets, they did all the things that God commanded them to do, at least uh, from a very um, flesh perspective, you know, uh, uh, dotting the I's and crossing the, the T's, but their hearts were far from God, right? The, the, with their lips they flattered God, but their hearts were far from Him. So they, in essence, said, yeah, we'll go, but their hearts never went. And then you had the sinners, uh, Jesus used the publicans and the harlots. And in Israel of that day, the most despicable people you could be could either be a harlot, a prostitute, or a publican. And the publican, they hated them not just because they cheated them out of their taxes. They cheated them and said, oh yeah, you owe this much, when in reality it was this much, and so on. But they hated them especially because they were collaborators. Rome was a, an invading force, was a... Was a uh, you know, a foreign power that was occupying them. And here you were, you had a bunch of Jewish people who were collaborating with the enemy. I mean, throughout history, collaborators are among the most hated of all hated people, okay? And Jesus says, look at them. They're the ones who, by their attitude, by their lifestyles, said, God, we won't do what you want us to do. And yet they repent and go into the kingdom. Amen? So that's the context. And... I guess what we could look at this and say, in many ways, there would be many reasons why a person would say, yes, I will do what you've asked me to do, and then not do it. Okay? So contextually, it's talking about the religious rulers, and it's talking about you know the sinners who did repent and so forth. But let's take this and apply it to us today, and look at the fact that a Christian could say, yes, Lord, I will do what you've asked of me, and then there could be any number of reasons why they turn around and not do it. And it's not necessarily because of sin. Okay? We say to the Lord, and I think most of us in this room at one point or another have done this. We've said, yes, Lord, I love you. I will follow you. I will do what you've called me to do. Right? And we say, I will, I will serve you. I will be your disciple. Uh, whatever you tell me to do, I will be obedient. But do we really follow through on that commitment? Do we really? And I think most of us in this room would desire to be able to say, yes, I'm faithful to the Lord. But the question really is, are we truly following through on that commitment? Turn with me now to Matthew, the eighth chapter. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter eight, and we're going to go down to verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow you whithersoever you go. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not to where to lay his head. 
And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. So I used to have a really hard time with this passage. I, it was My challenge was, it sure seemed like Jesus was being very cruel and callous, especially to the guy who said, I have to go bury my father. Uh, I, I'm blessed. I have a very, very good relationship with my earthly father. I love him very much. I know he loves me very much. There's a lot of intimacy between us. And if, if he were to pass away, it would grieve me terribly. And I could see, I could, you know, put myself in this man's position saying, I must go bury my father and being told, no, let the dead bury the dead. And so, Jesus, that's, you're not a jerk, but that sounds like, that's something a jerk would say. That's unkind, it's cruel, it's, it's, but that's not who you are. So Jesus, help me understand this. So this is what really is going on here. First of all, let's pay attention to the fact that Jesus is followed by great multitudes. Okay, So it's not just the five-fold ministry here. Okay, This is everybody. This applies to everyone who names the name of Jesus. So the first guy says, I will follow you whithersoever you go. And again, I think so many of us, at one point or another, in intimacy with the Father, in relationship with Jesus, we have said that. Whatever you want from me, you've got it. I was 18 years old the first time I said it to him. And I meant it. I really did. Amen? I'm sure you meant it too when you said it. But Jesus, he isn't, you know, being cruel or, or he isn't saying, okay, because uh, this is his response. He says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air, they have nests, but the Son of Man, he has nowhere to lay his head. So he's not saying that he's homeless. He's not saying we're just a band of hobos wandering about the desert doing hobo stuff. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I don't have any roots. I haven't established uh, an earthly kingdom for myself. And anyone who's going to follow after me has to recognize that whatever roots you put down are temporary. Because when you follow me, you're going to go from here to there to here to there, fulfilling the will of the Father, wherever that may be. You don't get to put down roots if you're going to follow Jesus. Oh, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. You know, do you know what you're saying when you say that? What you're saying is, okay, I spent, we have a friend, spent 10 years in medical school, is not a doctor today. Not because he failed, but because God told him, that's not where I want you to be. Could you imagine investing so much of your life, not just time and money, but so much of your energy, your your emotions, everything into that, to then say, oh, that's not where you want me? All right, Lord, I'll be obedient and go where you want me to go. That's amazing. It's awesome. You know, if we're going to follow him, it means we can't put down roots where we think we're going to put down roots. It may mean we're not going to live where we think we're going to live. It may mean that, you know, you were born in one city, you're going to move to that city, and then you're going to move to another city, and then you're going to move to another country, and then maybe you may move to another country, and so on. We know a little bit about that. It may mean you may not have a career like people do sometimes. You may not work where you think you're going to work for the rest of your life. It may mean that you're not going to have the kind of job you think you're going to have. You're going to end up doing something completely different. Amen? Uh, it may also mean you're not going to own stuff like other people own stuff. One of the things that I think, is, and this may be my opinion here, but I firmly believe that the word reflects this, and that is 
the life of a disciple of Christ will look nothing like the life of our heathen neighbors. Our heathen neighbors want to accumulate things on this earth, make their earthly kingdom as wonderful as possible, make their existence here on earth as amazing as possible. They want to enjoy everything that could be enjoyed here and now. But one who would follow Christ says, I give all that up. Why? Because the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. And neither will you. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 21, continuing, he says, And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury the dead. So Jesus, he's not being cruel or unkind. But essentially what we need to understand if we're going to follow Christ is that Jesus is on an assignment and so are we. And sometimes the natural things of this world, they don't coincide or they don't work with the assignment we're on. And we're going to have to say to the natural thing, even things that are near and dear to us, things that would be important to us, I can't do this right now because it would impact the assignment I'm on for the kingdom of God. It's not about cruelty. It's simply about being obedient and following the Lord. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 11 because this is an excellent example of what it is. Here's the thing though, as you're turning, sometimes the choice to leave the assignment to go do something isn't for sin, okay? Is there sin in burying a father? There isn't, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But it's, it's, it's even a normal thing. People would expect you to go and go to a funeral. You know, a loved one passed away, you're going to go there. It's not wrong, it's not a sin, and yet because you're on an assignment for the kingdom of God, you can't go. It doesn't fit. Even when it's for people that we care very deeply about. Okay, so in John chapter 11, of course, we have the account of Lazarus. Lazarus. And of course, we find out he dies. Uh, Verse 1, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom whom you love is sick. So imagine you're on assignment and all of a sudden you get a phone call at three o'clock in the morning and it's your mother, your sister, your brother, some other family member saying, your father had a heart attack. Don't know if he's going to make it. you got to come home right now. Right now, for us, let's say something like that were to happen, we'd have to really consider what God is saying to us because it means going up to Canada, quarantining for two weeks, doing what needs to be done. Then when we get back, quarantine again for another two weeks. So it's at least at the minimum a month where we're off assignment. We have to be attentive to what the Lord is telling us to do. Amen? So, Jesus finds out, oh, Lazarus, he's sick. And it must be serious enough because his sisters send people to contact Jesus and say, hey, listen, he's sick. It's not just like, you know, nowadays where you could send someone a text and say, oh yeah, Lee isn't feeling well. No, this, this took effort for somebody to travel to go find him. Where is Jesus? Well, we think, last we heard, he was over there. So somebody's got to wander about, look, look, so it, okay. When that messenger comes, Jesus knows this is not 
just a cold. This is serious, okay? And probably what happened is they conveyed, this is serious. But Jesus heard that and he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So here's something that occurred to me some time ago, which is when Jesus walked on earth, he didn't know everybody. He knew the people he met. He knew the people that he spent time with, but he didn't know everybody. If he was in a large crowd of people and some guy walked by, he wasn't like, oh yeah, that's Ralph. He wouldn't know that person. He wouldn't know anything about him unless God gave him a word of knowledge. Jesus was a man. So when Jesus loved somebody, it was because he had an intimate relationship with them. So Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were very near and dear to him. And they're saying, Jesus, Lazarus is sick, come. And what does Jesus do? Well, if we were to continue reading, he says, we find out that he stays. Where he continues doing what he's doing. Why? Because he's on assignment. Even though he loves them and he could, if he went, problem solved. Right? He stays on assignment. Okay? Praise the Lord. Let's turn down to verse 33. So, of course, we know that Lazarus dies. And, you know, when he finally goes to Bethany, where Lazarus was, he first meets Martha, and Martha says to him, if you had been here, you wouldn't have died. Could you imagine hearing that from somebody? Oh, man, it must have hurt him. And then, of course, he meets Mary, and she says the same thing. If you had been here, you wouldn't have died. And in verse 33... It says here, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And I had a hard time for a long time. You know, what do you, what does this mean? You were, you were, you groaned in the spirit and you were troubled. It's because it hurt him. It hurt his heart to see these people weeping and he's seeing their pain. It it moved him. You know, it says that when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Jesus felt emotion like we did. And this is what's going on here. He's feeling emotion. And can you imagine he's feeling emotion that had he had just come, all this would have been dealt with and it would never have happened. They would have not had all this suffering. He knows what the outcome is going to be. He already said, I know what this is going to be. It's not going to be unto death. And yet he's moved because he sees all their pain. And in fact, it continues in verse 35. It says, he wept. Jesus wept. Why was he weeping? Because it broke his heart. Man. Praise the Lord. And of course we know what happens. He goes and he ministers to the corpse. Jesus, I mean Jesus, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out and as Pastor Jim said, he's bouncing because he's all bound up and he's got a napkin on his face. They found it at McDonald's or something. It's not that kind of napkin. Jesus was on assignment. You can go back to Matthew 8. We have seen so many times that Jesus said and did only what He saw the Father do. And therefore, even though His heart would have been to go and minister to that situation, He didn't. And He would not because it would have meant deviating from what the Father wanted Him to do. His will was so completely submitted to the fathers that he never deviated from the assignment. His assignment was ultimately to go to the cross, right? And again, sometimes as Christians, we say, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. And then we deviate from our assignment, not because of sin, not because, you know, we're, 
we're, I don't know, getting drunk or doing whatever, but because we're going to go do something that's good, but it's not what he told us to do. And it's not part of fulfilling the assignment that he's given us. Does that make sense? Could you imagine if Jesus on the way to the cross saw a large group of leprous people and said, whoops, I'm going to go heal these people. And because he went and healed those people, they went to Gethsemane to get him, but he wasn't there, so they couldn't capture him, and so the cross never happened, all because he went and healed a bunch of leprous people. Wow. On the way to the cross, he doesn't commit sin, he doesn't go murder, but he deviates to the, from the assignment. We understand that disobedience of any kind, ultimately, is wrong, right? So, Matthew 8 Where am I here? Verse 22. Follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Really comes down to this. Sometimes we won't be able to be with the people we love so much. People who are near and dear to us because it doesn't fit the assignment that God has prepared for us. So like the second son, so many of us say, I'll go into the vineyard. I will do what you want me to do. And then we don't. Okay? God is calling us to be a part of the work of His kingdom and many of us fail to follow through and it isn't always because of sin per se. Turn with me to Luke 14. Come on, Luke. I'm going to pick it up here in verse 15. And one of them... And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And we're just going to stop there. Really? We all chuckle at that one. I married me a wife. When we were newlyweds, right? We all understand, right? Amen. Okay. Um, There are things in this world, there are earthly responsibilities. There are things we need to take care of. And it can be easily, uh, uh, something that easily takes us off our assignment because we need to take care of things. You know, if all of a sudden a pipe bursts in your kitchen, you might need to deal with that quicker than, than not because it can do a lot of damage. But maybe because you're on assignment, it means just shutting off the water, sopping up as much as you can, and you'll come back to it. Why? Because there's a supper being served. You need to go deal with that. You know, last week, Rebecca's car broke down on the way to... The concert. If she had not been involved in the concert, in the the uh, the sing along, the Christmas sing along, I might have said, "Sit tight, I'll see who can go get you." <laughs> I had to go get her, but I was on assignment. I had to be on camera. I had stuff to do, and on and on and on. But you got to kind of measure what you're going to do based on what's happening. So there, are, we have earthly responsibilities. There are things that can distract us from God, what God would have us do. But there's also earthly relationships. And this is where it's very serious. If we continue reading, Jesus says, If any man come to me, verse 26, and they hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and his sisters, and yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And we understand it's not hatred in the sense that we would understand, but it's hatred in terms of these things in comparison to our love for the Lord and our faithfulness to Him, it would appear to be hatred. 
You know, Jamie, oh, Alain, I just want you to spend the, the, the morning with me at home. I don't want to go to church today. Just stay at home. Uh, hon, I, I, we should be going to church. You should come with me. But if you don't come, I'm going by myself. You hate me. Well, it may appear that I hate you, but really I just love the Lord more. Amen? And, that, and by the way, that's an example I can use because Jamie would probably be the one yelling at me. Hey, you lazy sack of bones. Let's go. Because Jamie would never miss church for anything. Amen. So earthly relationships, and this may be one of the hardest ones because it's so easy for us to be pulled off assignment because of earthly relationships. And I think maybe especially when it's parental or children, either to our own parents or to our children. I think it might be easier to throw off a sibling. Sorry, siblings. But you know what I'm saying? We love our parents and we want to honor them. And especially if you grew up in a Christian home, it was ingrained in you to honor your parents and to, to, to love them and so on and so forth. To go against what they might be saying can be really, really difficult. And yet, we have to. We have to do what the Father has told us to do. Okay? Maybe another hard one would be, of course, a spousal relationship. Uh, very quickly, you don't have to turn there with me. Mark 4, verses 18 and 19. And these are they which are sown among thorns. Of course, it's talking about the seed, the seed being the word. And it's sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Sometimes owning stuff, or our covetous desire for stuff, can choke the, the fruitfulness of the word of God in our lives. We cease to be effective in his kingdom on, and on our assignment. You know, taking care of the oxen, so to speak. i got to take care of this stuff. Sometimes our stuff becomes so important to us, or the accumulation of stuff, or the maintenance of stuff, and so on. And then, of course, relationships that are out of order. These things can choke the Word at work in our lives and making it unfruitful. However, we can't neglect natural things. We understand that. If you just bought a yoke of oxen in 2020, I salute you. However, you're going to have to prove it at some point. It just may not be right now. Amen? And that's where it's, it's learning to follow the leading of the Spirit to know when am I going to do what I'm going to do. One of my challenges since moving here is you've got to start cutting grass in March. And sometimes you cut grass all the way till December. Like, what the? Back home in Canada, you'd start cutting grass maybe in May or June, and then you were done by October. Woohoo! Well, the other thing is, let's say I can either cut it on Monday or Friday because of my schedule, and it's not raining today, and it's getting really long, so i got to go out right now. But the Lord says, no, I want you to tarry right now and spend time with me. But Jesus, next chance I get is Monday, and it's, they're calling for rain. I don't care. Does that make sense? And it's a natural. Is it sin to cut grass? It might be if you're deviating from the assignment that God is giving you right now. Amen? It's not sinful in and of itself. God must always come first. Now, I want you to go with me now to Luke 10. Hallelujah. We've got a conclusion here coming up. So Luke 10, verse uh, 38. Mary and Martha again. Now, it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received them into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was encumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, 
You are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So Jesus was basically saying to all women for the rest of eternity that you need to be quiet and let people sit and listen and not worry about chores, right? Of course not. I mean, people like to eat. And especially in the culture of the day, the only people making food were the women. So he wasn't saying that the order of things is whenever I speak, nobody does anything. But what he was saying is right now, what's important? Not the natural things, but to sit down and to hear what I have to say. Mary has chosen the right thing. What Martha should have done is put aside her apron and gone and sat down. It didn't mean that Martha would never put that apron back on. It didn't mean that Mary never had to help in the kitchen ever again. It certainly didn't mean that men don't have to help in the kitchen. Throwing that in there for the ladies. But what it meant was we need to understand what's going on in the moment and choose the right thing in that moment, right? And that, again, is about being sensitive to the leadership of the Spirit. One more example. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. So in Acts chapter 6, passage we're, oh, where's Acts? A passage we're familiar with. And we're going to start in verse 1. Just read a few verses here. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, and on and on and on. So, what we can see here is that it is not God's intent that we ignore natural things for the sake of the kingdom. God understands that people need to go to work, they need to do their jobs, and they need to do it well and do it faithfully to earn an, earn, uh, an income and so on and so on. God knows that you need to go to the grocery store and buy groceries. God knows you've got to bring those groceries home and put them away. God knows you need to do laundry on occasion because otherwise we'd all stink. God knows all of these things. We do not neglect those things. It's important that we do them. And it's important that we do a lot of things well. Natural things cannot be neglected or ignored because if they're neglected or ignored for too long, they become an issue and a problem. So what we see here is that we have a natural problem, a natural issue, a natural thing that needs to be taken care of. Someone's going to have to do it. But it's not going to be the apostles. Because God has already given them an assignment. See, they're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit saying, no, you're not going to leave what I've put before you to do. You're going to keep doing that. You're going to find someone else to do it. But you're going to have to find people who are faithful to do it. Because that's the challenge. See, there's always something that needs to be done. But there isn't always someone faithful to do it. Okay, so people needed to be fed. Someone was going to have to to oversee that because they were being overlooked. Okay, that's what was going on. Hallelujah. Those who were chosen had to meet the job requirements. It says they had to be people of integrity, you know, of honest report. Not only had they had they not only did they need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they needed to be those who would be following his leadership. And they needed wisdom. And why were those attributes so important? 
Because anyone lacking those attributes would dismiss waiting on tables as unimportant and insignificant. Or it's beneath me. So the people who were going to treat this natural thing properly were people who were people of integrity, full of the Holy Spirit and led of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And the results of their faithfulness we see in verse 7, the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient, even even priests were obedient to the faith. Why did that happen? Because the apostles didn't have to keep coming out and dealing with the mess. Because they were faithful to do their part, God's word was having uh, uh, was being fruitful. Amen. The interesting thing in the body of Christ is there's an attitude, a very negative attitude, in terms of unless the ministry, unless what I'm doing, unless my assignment is really flashy, it's really spiritual, then it's beneath me and it's not worth doing. So unless I'm behind the pulpit or on the stage or you know someone that people can esteem in what I'm doing, then there's no real value to it. Anything that isn't one of those things is insignificant and it's beneath me. And why do some Christians have this attitude? It's because they are not people of honest report. They don't have integrity. Why? They may be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they're certainly not led of the Holy Spirit and they are certainly unwise. One of the things that, that we need to address in this, this church, in GCC, and maybe you know those of you who go to other churches, it's a problem there too. But there are things that, there are natural things that go undone in this church. And when revival hits, and it is going to happen, we've, we're, our toes are in it, it's about to happen, we need to address this now, these natural things cannot continue to go undone. They have to be done. And it's not Pastor Jim who's going to do it. Should he leave prayer and the ministry of the Word to go and take care of natural things? Of course not. The Lord, He already knew a long time ago that wasn't what He was to do. And part of my assignment being here is to take care of a lot, a lot of these things. But it's not possible that I take care of everything and it's also not what God would want me to do. Amen? Some of you have probably heard of the Pareto Principle. The Pareto Principle is the 2080 rule. And the 2080 rule essentially when we apply it to an organization like a church or any other kind of institution, it's 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's the Pareto rule. And it's not hard and fast because it doesn't always work out mathematically, but this guy was a mathematician and he did find out that that rule, by and large, worked a lot of times. For example, in Italy at the time, because I think he developed this back in the 1800s, 20% of the population had 80% of the wealth. Okay, so the Pareto rule applied to a whole bunch of things. So when we apply it to a church, and, and really, you know, I've been in ministry now 22 years, and, you know, early on in ministry, I observed something and I made mention, you know, of my observation to somebody who then said, well, yeah, it's a 2080 rule. My observation was, whenever somebody in the church and leadership would ask for volunteers for a special job, it was always the same people who volunteered. It was always the same people who were already in kids' church or already the people who were already cleaning the church or the people who were on the worship team or whatever. It was always the same 20% who did everything. So now there's a new job, you know, maybe a special one-day thing like taking out the shrubs. The people who showed up to take out the shrubs were the people who were already doing stuff within the church. And the other 
They hardly ever showed up for anything except to, oh, there's a banquet? Yeah, I'll be there to eat. But they're the first people to leave as soon as it's over. They don't do anything to clean. And I was like, why? what's the deal here? It's always the same people who do everything. Yeah, that's the 80-20 rule. So, you know, the 80% do occasionally do some things, but usually because they've been strong-armed in doing it. And the whole time they're doing it, they everyone knows they're not happy doing it. They got, you know, angry face on and they're grumbling the whole time. They resent the fact that they're doing it. And they make sure everybody knows that they're doing you a favor while they're doing it. Seriously, you had food at the banquet too. Why are you doing me a favor? Because you're picking out the trash, you know, taking out the trash. Whatever. But I made a different observation here. And that observation is it's not the 2080 rule. It's the 595 rule. So 5% of the body here does 80% of the work. The other 95% do 10% of the work. And there's a good 10% that never gets done. And that's got to change. We can't go into revival this way. It's not going to work. People are going to start coming in here and things are going to start falling apart really quickly. Okay? And I'm going to give you a very easy and natural example. What happens every month, the last week of the month? Pardon? Folding party. How is it that it's the same 5% who fold every time? That's not right. And if more people showed up, I'm going to tell you right now, it would be really fast. Okay? But because it's only a few people, it takes us a long time to fold them all because it's just us. Now listen, right now some of you are like, it's not fair, I can't stay or whatever. Don't. If the shoe of conviction fits, put it on. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. Maybe you really can't stay on a Sunday night. And by the way, as I stand here, I'm not looking out on anybody thinking, yeah, you could stay, but you don't have to. None of that, okay? If the shoe of conviction fits, great. Don't take condemnation. I'm not saying you're a lousy Christian. But these are things that we need to begin to address. So, folding party, we know it's coming. We know it's the last week of every Sunday. Why aren't we planning for it? I know it's going to happen. So I'm going to, I'm going to know that on that particular Sunday night, I'm going to stay an extra 20 minutes because if we all stay, that's all it's going to be. Okay? But because it's only 5%, sometimes it's an hour and a half. That's not fair and it's not right. Okay? But I'm going to, I'm going to take it to the next level. Because see, so let's say it's Sunday morning, Pastor Jim says, tonight folding party. You've got time to plan for it. You've got time to put it into your schedule. Amen? You've got time to alter whatever you were going to do after service because you know you're going to stay to fold. But because you choose not to make a change, what you're saying to the Lord is, that aspect of ministry is beneath me. If the shoe of conviction fits, put it on. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. By your attitude, you are declaring that this work of the ministry is not important. It's not important that the word of the Lord should go out to people. You know, I'm on the receiving end of the mail. I get a lot of the mail that comes in. I'm the guy who picks it up. I'm the one who opens and looks at it. I have often read people saying, man, that really ministered to me. That really touched my heart or whatever. People are getting something out of this. And especially the inmates, by the way. They love getting the letters. Okay? So when you are saying, I know folding parties coming at the end of the month, and I even heard this morning that it's tonight, but I'm not going to rearrange my schedule, you're proving yourself to be a person without integrity, you're not following the leadership of the Spirit, and you're certainly not operating in wisdom. Amen? 
Well, Anang, I do my part over here. Could you imagine in a household? You have a four-person household, like our house. Let's say there are ten chores. And each of us take one chore and say, well, I did my part. There are six chores left undone. So I did the dishes, Jamie did the vacuuming, Rebecca did the dusting, and Michaela cleaned the bathrooms, but laundry isn't done. Well, I did my part. Is that how it works in a household? Of course not. Somebody's got to do it. And in some households, it ends up being the mother who does it all the time. That's not right either. It should not work that way. So just because you're ministering in one part, or or not ministering, but you're doing one part of the assignment in this church, doesn't mean, oh, well, I've done my part and I'm free from doing anything else. That's not how it works. And if you think that's how it's going to work, it's not, the revival is going to be really hard for us who are the 5%. And that's not right. It's not fair. Now, this is not about me venting my frustrations. Really, this is about, we have to make changes. We really do. We have to be diligent to take care of the natural things. In Acts chapter 6, if no one had st- stepped up to take care of waiting tables, there would have been problems and the Word of God would not have been as effective as it should have been. But let me take it to another level here, and that is this. Does our attitude towards natural things like folding letters reflect our our attitude towards the things like prayer? Because one of the assignments we have is to pray. Pastor Jim has assigned us three hours of tongues every day. Every day. And and, and really, he's made it easy. While you're watching TV, you can pray in tongues. Honestly, that that doesn't get any easier than that. You're in the car driving, you can pray in tongues. You're making making dinner, you can pray in tongues. You're grocery shopping, you can pray in tongues with mask or without a mask. I pray in tongues without the mask. It didn't matter to me. I remember one time, I'm in the grocery store, and I was talking to myself out loud. And then I saw someone looking at me, and I was like, oh no, they're going to think I'm crazy. So then I started praying in tongues so that they wouldn't think I was crazy. <laughs> that does, if they weren't believers, they really thought I was crazy. Anyways, if our attitude in the natural is someone else is going to do it, I don't have to do it. Is it also in the spiritual things? You know, we, we need to pray for this nation. Oh, well, Pastor Jim can do it. Yeah, he's got time to pray for the nation. I'm sure his prayers will be efficient enough. <laughs> Amen? Hallelujah. Have we said... Yes, Lord, I'll go into the vineyard and then never show up. Here we, you know, there's three people in the vineyard working, thinking, man, I've got to pick all these grapes by... Where did every... They said they were coming, but here we are, picking the grapes by ourselves. Hallelujah. So my question I'm leaving you with you tonight is, are you the 95? And if you are, take some time, seek the Lord, and ask Him, Lord, where do I need to change? Where do I need to step up? Hallelujah. Amen. And if you're not at the next folding party, believe me, I'm not going to hold it against you. Okay? All right. Let's start praying. 30 minutes.